You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. The Awesome Podcast Network presents The Republic City Report, a Legend of Korra podcast. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. Put your hands together for your host, Republic City correspondent, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of Republic City Report, Legend of Korra podcast. I am, of course, your host, Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys for joining me again. Of course, on this episode, it's basically going to be a continuation from the previous episode because the the episodes were split. So we had Beginnings Part 1 and Beginnings Part 2. And this episode is going to cover part two of that. But before we get into that, I want to take your time here to remind everyone that this is sort of a fan feedback sort of a podcast. So if you have anything that you want to say in terms of theories, any you want to answer any of the questions that I may ask, if you want to ask any questions, feel free to send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. You can also head over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash republiccityreport and leave me a comment. Uh, With that being said, I had several emails before I decided to split those up. Um, So I'm going to read a couple more emails on this pie on this episode. um, And we're going to get into that. But of course, that's going to be a little bit later on in the show. So for now, let's just jump right on into it here. Once again, we've got beginnings part two. This is uh, arguably the better of the two episodes. I would say that it is. Uh, once again, listen to the previous episode of this podcast to find out my thoughts on part one. But basically, we're going to pick up right after the first episode, uh, part one. And here we have Juan kind of coming to terms with the fact that he just sort of unknowingly uh, unleashed the spirit of chaos upon the world, being Vatu. And of course, the spirit of peace uh, and goodness and light. Uh, Rava is um, they're gonna kind of sort of work together at this point to try to track down Vatu and stop him from spreading chaos so a little bit later on Juan actually comes across some monks this is the first time we see the monks these these are of course going to be Aang's ancestors Uh, and they're basically floating so he sees them and he's this is the first time he's seen any form of airbending. So, of course, he's intrigued by that, um, which I have to say about this moment, the, the way those monks were riding on top of those clouds. We've, we've never seen anyone else do that. Right. I mean, even Aang couldn't do that. So that that's that's something I'm a little confused about. Um, I don't know if their their airbending abilities were stronger because they got them directly from the lion turtle but they were riding on top of clouds like Goku from Dragon Ball Z Um, and even Aang couldn't do that I mean Aang couldn't fly you know he he always had to use his his staff you know he would he would use his staff and he would he would use the wind around him to manipulate his staff so that he can fly through the air but these guys are just flying on top of clouds. I mean, I don't I don't want to say that that's a plot hole or anything, but that's just, 
just interesting that it's able to be used in that way and we've never really seen it like that not to mention we actually see Juan do that himself a little bit later on also but basically he decides that he needs to to go in and experience these guys and find out more about their culture and everything so he ends up going to the lion turtle having some conversations and everything like that and while he's there basically you know discussing with the monks about how he has lived with the spirits and everything like that um the monks themselves also have some of the spirits sort of as pets uh but then we watch the spirits basically transform uh we start to see the first real effects of vatu being free uh these spirits start to become basically manipulated and they grow angry and they start to kind of attack everyone uh, of course Juan goes into defense mode and he tries to take them down and then Rava shows back up and the monks have some questions for Rava about where you know everyone's kind of wondering you know why are you here without Vatu and vice versa and you know ultimately the blame comes down to Juan because he was kind of manipulated into setting them free but as a result of him meeting the monks uh, he ends up going to their lion turtle and asking for the ability to bend air uh, because he and, and here's where the writing to me kind of suffers just a little bit because uh, it's not really I don't think it's really justified for him to go and ask for air at this point I, I don't know I just feel like they didn't do a good enough a job explaining why he needed all the elements to defeat Rava. I mean, it's okay. It, it stands to reason that if you have four powers versus one, then that would mean you have a better chance of winning. But I don't know. It's just not clear enough. His motivation behind it doesn't seem to be like what, what proof does he have that with air and fire, his chances are going to be greater. I, I don't know. I think it was just, I guess it was just an assumption on his part, but he goes to ask the lion turtle for that. The lion turtle tells him, well, you already carry one element and no other, no human has ever carried more than one. So when we get these events like this, those moments, we start, that's when we really start to see how he's becoming the avatar, the concept of the avatar that we know and love. Right. Because now he's starting to pick up the other elements and we're starting to see why it's such a big deal to be able to have all four. So the lion turtle says, well, and, and once again, I didn't really understand this because the lion turtle does not want to give him the the air. But then he says, it's OK. I'm not like regular humans. And so the air, the the lion turtle just kind of agrees. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't I'm not sure what he meant by him not being like other humans. I mean, we can make assumptions and say that by that he meant that he has spent two years or so with the spirits. He already carried the fire element for that two years. So maybe that's what he meant by him not being a regular human. And I guess the lion turtle must have sensed that, uh, but not enough because he decided to give the ability of air to Rava to hold on to for him until he was ready for it. Once again, this to me, this is where the writing becomes a little weird because it seems like the writers just needed an excuse 
to make uh, Rava and Juan join together in the first place. So they decided to give her the air first. Um, so, you know, basically, you know, after some time of training and everything like that, she has to uh, basically uh, go through, fly through or join with Juan so that he can uh, hold the air. But once again, that I think that was just a plot device to show what is going to happen and what does happen when the spirit joins with him. And later on, of course, that's going to be basically foreshadowing the Avatar state and everything like that. So we get that and and she goes through him. He gets the ability to bend air and and, and everything like that. Now, to kind of make a a long story short, uh, Juan realizes that in order to defeat Rava, uh, he's going to need to see more lion turtles. And once again, I don't know if that was necessarily justified him jumping to that conclusion. Uh, It does almost seem like the writers were just kind of looking for a way for him to pick up the other elements. Um, I mean, I'm sorry. I know know it sounds like I'm kind of bashing this, but I'm going to get to the good stuff, too. I promise you, I'm just kind of going through the motions right now about things that I just didn't really understand. And that's why you guys are here and that's why I'm here so we can help each other understand these things. So if there's something that I'm missing, please send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com so we can talk about this. Uh, You know, I'm watching these episodes along with you guys. I don't have any sort of insider information. (laughs) I don't see the episodes ahead of anyone else. So I'm not going to necessarily understand everything the first time that I see it either. But that's that's why we have this podcast so we can talk about it. So, yeah, so he he goes to do that. And my my main problem with this is that when he goes to talk to the other lion turtles and acquire uh, the earth bending ability and the water bending ability that it's really quick. Um, it, there was so much emphasis put on fire uh, on this thing. And then, and then so much emphasis put on air, but when it came to earth and water, it was just like, well, he just, you know, it's kind of like a little montage. He kind of goes and he, he gets them and don't get me wrong. I mean, they didn't have to spend that much time on them because, well, you know, we only have, another 30 minutes or so to to talk about it. And I get that, but it just seemed like those two elements were just kind of not as important. Um, But he, you know, he goes to acquire both of those. And so now we basically have uh, the avatar with, you know, the power to control all four elements. Now throughout his, his conquests and everything like that, he does end up coming back upon uh, his old friends and his old village and everything. And at this point, um, they, you know, being so motivated by Juan's ability to go out in the in the in the spirit wilds and acquire fire and show that they don't have to be less than everyone else. They can still be better. They can still have power and everything. Um, they all went and got the fire abilities from the lion turtle. Also, now. I think what what we start to see there is that that's kind of hint that's going to hint toward our future firebenders, right? Like that's basically the beginning of the fire nation, I would say, because these are just regular people now who have the ability to use fire. 
and they had to the fire nation had to start somewhere so i'm gonna assume that that's where they began is when all of these regular people decided to go and get the fire also but you know unlike Juan, they're kind of misusing it they don't really understand you know they don't understand the difference between a good spirit and a bad spirit as a matter of fact when robbers shows up they kind of attack her um until Juan steps in and you know they're just kind of saying hey you know we attack any spirit that we see because we don't know the difference you know they see you know vatu's on the loose some of the spirits are turning bad and killing other people and they don't know the difference so they're basically at this point about to go to war with the spirits um so that's basically what begins to happen so we get the villagers versus uh Juan's old group of spirit friends uh led by i can't i can't remember his name but he's like a half kangaroo or something i don't know i'm sorry but trying to figure out exactly what what he is but he's kind of funny the one that calls him stinky uh so they're all about to fight each other and Juan is basically you know like i said there are these there are these certain moments throughout the episode that really make you see okay now this makes sense this is where the avatar gets his nobility he or she's nobility and, and, and everything from is these moments like this. So Juan's first reaction is, I have to stop this war. I can't let them fight each other. And in this moment, he actually kind of joins with Rava. And we kind of get our first little hint slash taste of the Avatar state, though not completely. So at this moment, you know, he kind of floats in the air. He's controlling all, you know, the the energy is flying the wind is blowing everywhere and he's in the sky and and you know rava's giving us some exposition basically telling us here you know i can't stay with you for that long otherwise i'll kill you you'll die so she leaves him and then the fight commences and juan is basically knocked unconscious or something of that nature because he's so weakened after rava leaves his body so he basically awakens uh, and they're visited by Vatu, and you know it's too late. The you know all of the villagers are probably for the most part somewhat destroyed each other, um, and we get a little dialogue between Vatu and and Juan and Rava. Now here's something I'm still a little bit con, uh, confused about: the whole harmonic convergence thing. Um, in in theory, I think I understand what it is. But I just don't feel like it was explained clearly enough. It it seems that there and, and please, by all means, send me an email or publiccityreport at gmail.com if this is wrong, if you have a better understanding of it than I do. There's a couple things that happened toward the end of the episode that confused me. So it, it seems that it, harmonic convergence is when uh, the portals are open and uh rava and vatu fight each other but you know it's 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 (laughs) it's really confusing because they were already fighting each other when he found them you know when juan found them the first time they were fighting each other so what is harmonic convergence then they fight each other again i thought they only fought each other once every ten thousand years it's a little convoluted and it's a little confusing you know, and, and I'm sorry, but the this is what I was talking about with last episode to where the writing becomes a little crazy because you feel you have to try to find a way to explain everything. And because of that, 
it, you get like this really weird sort of explanation that doesn't quite make sense and is a little hard to follow um but basically the point is is that but when it happens um Rava and Vatu are to battle once again, but at this point, Rava's very weak and very small because, uh, and and Vatu's very big because he's basically been winning, and the darkness has basically taken over. So they have to go to, I believe, the southern portal, uh, which at that point was a sort of a bridge to the spirit world. So you know, at, at this point, you kind of start to see where Unalak's involvement is sort of going, right? This whole thing with the northern portal and the southern portal, now you're kind of starting to see, oh, this is how this ties into what's going on with Korra and Unalak. So they go there and they go to the spirit world and then and then Vatu emerges from another portal, which I don't, what was that? What was the portal that Vatu came out of? I'm, I'm confused. The first time I saw it, I thought it was a northern and a southern portal, but they wouldn't have been that close together. So it's, <laughs> it's a little confusing. But he comes out of a portal, and then, of course, it's time to battle. But, you know, obviously Rava is too weak, so Juan pretty much takes it upon himself to battle Vatu. Um, obviously, for a while, he's not, he's not winning, uh, and then harmonic convergence itself occurs, which we get this shot of the planets aligning. Uh, and that does something to where the southern portal, as well as the portal that Vatu comes from, sort of they lean into each other and form this one. It's very confusing. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it, d- during that process... Juan reaches his hand over and puts his hand into the portal and somehow that activates the the very first avatar state. And at this point, Rava is a part of him for good. Now, here's my question. What exactly happened there? I mean, I don't I, I probably need to watch the episode again. OK, I, I've already watched it twice. But maybe I need to watch it again because I'm just not exactly getting what was going on there. Like, what exactly happened when he touched that portal? And why did that allow... Okay, maybe it's because harmonic convergence, that was some sort of a bonding sort of event. And that's why Rava bonded with him from that point on. Do you see what I'm saying here? RepublicCityReport at gmail.com if you have a better understanding of this than me. This was a better episode than the first one, but it's actually, it's a lot more confusing in a lot of ways than, than the first one was. But, you know, with that being said, we, after that point, of course, we get this awesome fight, which to me is always one of the better parts of these episodes. We get to finally see this avatar state with the glowing eyes and everything. And we start, the bells start to kind of go off in our head. The light bulbs start to come on and we start to realize, okay, this is what the avatar is. The avatar is a human who has basically the spirit of Rava. So, you know, and that's how you become the bridge between the living world and the spirit world. And from that point on, that's basically what it is. So every time we see that avatar state activate, it's almost like, 
I, I suppose Rava is is sort of powering up inside of of the person. Now we get this really awesome fight, um, and and of course Juan seals Vatu up, uh, and then he goes upon to close the portals so that no regular person can just cross over into the spirit world and free him. So once again, once that's revealed, the light bulbs go off. Oh, okay. So this is what Unalak is up to. Now I'll get back to that in a minute, but let's just close out the episode. Um, at this point, you know, balance is pretty much restoring across the world. Um, the lion turtles at this point decide that we no longer have to protect the humans uh, we no longer have to give anyone else the, the abilities to, to bend fire and everything like that. I mean, that's so we're assuming that the people that already had it got to keep it right because they, the, the, the benders had to come from somewhere. So it stands to reason that those monks that were there with the ability to bend air and everything that became Aang, Aang's ancestors and the other guys became the ancestors of the Fire Nation. If you think I'm wrong about that. Feel free to send me an email. We can talk about it, of course. Um, and that also kind of explains why the lion turtles are not active in the present day. Because Aang only came across one lion turtle, if I'm remembering correctly. And, you know, these lion turtles are kind of dormant at this point because they decided, hey, we don't have to be involved anymore. You know, and from that point on, we didn't really see any lion turtles. So that explains why they're not just floating around in present day doing all these things because they, I guess they just decided a long time ago that they didn't need to anymore. Um, so we get that. Now we also get, uh, we, we get to see Juan in the future. You know, he kind of, over the ages, he's been through a lot of battle, a lot of war, and in the end, it's kind of a very sad moment. We see him as an old man on the battlefield He's basically saying, I'm sorry, Rava. I still was unable to keep darkness uh, under control. And she basically tells him it's OK. We don't have to win it in this lifetime. We have I'm, I'm going to be with you every lifetime from now on. And then, of course, the Avatar, the legend of the Avatar is born. OK, now what they don't say is where the name Avatar came from. Like who was the one that decided to call it that? You know, I mean, there's still some things. This doesn't these two episodes don't explain everything. They don't. Like I said, there was still the whole aspect of the moon and the badger moles and everything. I mean, I guess arguably that stuff may have happened way before this, because apparently the badger moles were the very first earthbenders. So that that would stand to reason that that may have actually happened before the story of Juan that whole aspect of things but i don't know it's still a little convoluted it's still a little confusing uh there's a couple things that they still need to explain regarding that now finally of course at this point we come back to the present Cora awakens with her her memory back understood camille i know that's going to make you very happy (laughs) camille left me a comment on the facebook page saying that it was brilliant the memory loss thing that we talked about did not end up being a huge pain in the butt as we thought it was going to be. It actually didn't last that long, but it did last just long enough for the writers to use that as an opportunity to show us the story of the first Avatar, which I can appreciate. So she awakens. 
with her memory back, and now she understands. And I think at this point, she knows what she needs to do. And once again, there's a lady that looks a lot like Azula, <laughs> you know, basically just basing it on her hairstyle that, you know, was kind of responsible for bringing her back. And then we find out that they've been raising a herd of sky bison this entire time. So now Cora gets her own sky bison. They happen to be the same breed as Appa, which is pretty cool. So obviously that's going to be her way back to where she needs to go. She's going to fly. Now, what does this mean for Naga? Who knows? <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty sure Naga is still going to be her go-to animal. Um, but for now, you know, I guess they just wanted to give her a sky bison. So where it's going to go from this point on is anyone's guess. Um, you know, we're already at the eighth episode of the season. That means there's only about four left. Um, so I'm beginning to believe even more so my previous theory that this season will not end with some sort of conclusion to this that this story will bleed over into the next season. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe in the next four episodes, they'll wrap up everything. But I don't think so. This story is getting bigger and bigger. Meanwhile, there's not many episodes left in the season. Let's not forget, you know, we still have this whole thing with Mako and him figuring out what's going on and how the Fire Nation is involved in all this thing. We still got Bolin and his thing, Asami and her company. We still got Tenzin and whatever's going on with him and his family. So, you know, I, it's just hard for me to see them reaching some kind of conclusion between now and episode 12. Uh, so I think this, you know, spirits is going to just carry over into season three. Could be wrong, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, but overall, my thoughts on this this one thing was that I, I really did appreciate it. It was pretty cool to see the story of the first Avatar, you know, do I necessarily think it needed to be a part of Legend of Korra? No, I mean, it very well could have just been a miniseries, spinoff episode, movie, or something like that. Um, you know, because it's it's just weird. It's weird. This has been a very weird season so far. The pacing has been weird. And then we've been showing, been seeing a lot of stuff that hasn't been really leading to anything, like the stuff with Bolin. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get this episode where all we see is Mako and Asami and Bolin. And then Korra loses her memory. And then we see Juan for two episodes. I mean, do you see where I'm going here? Like, it just kind of seems like it's kind of all over the place right now. Let's let's get this back on track. I mean, this is still a good show, but the, uh, this season is just kind of all over the place, and I, I don't understand. You know, um, let's get this thing back on track. You're, you're still kind of convoluting things a little bit with the spirits. But OK, we're still with you. We're hanging in there. Uh, I guess at this point, we're being led to believe that Unalak is, in fact, trying to free Vatu. Um, whether or not he plans on trying to join with Vatu in some sort of dark avatar sort of aspect remains to be seen, although that would be kind of cool, I suppose. Uh, but we don't really know what's going on there. But now, of course, in the present, harmonic convergence is about to occur again. And that is why Unalak needed the spirit portals opened and everything like that. Um, so apparently he's going to try to free Vatu. But once again, we don't know, uh, you know, is Vatu the big bad villain that we've been waiting for this entire season to be revealed? Maybe. 
But then again, Varric is still up to something. There's just way too many things that are unresolved at this point that I don't I don't know if they'll be able to wrap it up in four more episodes or three more episodes or whatever. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Once again, feel free to send me your thoughts to RepublicCityReport at gmail.com or leave me a comment over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash RepublicCityReport. At this point, I'm going to switch over and read two emails that I received, um, some about basic theories about the show, questions that were asked and everything like that. Go ahead and send your email in. I'm going to address those emails in just a minute. Looking to expand your avatar, The Last Airbender Collection? How about picking up book one of Legend of Korra on Blu-ray? There are plenty of DVDs, apparel, merchandise, and basically anything else you can dream of over at Amazon. Go to awesomepods.com and click on the Amazon link when you shop on Amazon. Okay, welcome back to Republic City Report, uh, Legend of Korra podcast. At this point, I'm going to address the emails that I was sent uh, on the last email, I actually brought up an email from Mark, which was a, a longer one. We talked about that. Uh, Mark had actually left out something, though. So he sent me a follow up email. We just wanted to add something a little bit to it. So once again, Mark from Queensland, Australia. Thank you so much for emailing me, Mark. I really do appreciate it. At this point, we're going to read your the second part of your email. It says, I just remembered something else I wanted to say with regard to the past Avatar age appearance that popped up again in the show last week. Now, this is something that I've talked about on several episodes. I had this theory that uh, maybe well, it wasn't really a theory. It was more so of a question. I was wondering if maybe the reason why we see Aang at this constant 40 year old age every time we see him is because maybe he died at that age. And the reasons why I thought that and everything, you know, once again, go back and listen to the previous episodes to find out more about that. But that's what Mark is referring to when he says that. Back to the email. My theory is that the past avatars appear the age they were when they did their greatest achievement during their lifetime. For instance, Kiyoshi appears as the age when she defeated Chin the Conqueror and created Kiyoshi Island. Roku appears as the age when he stopped the volcano, pretty epic feat, but died from smoke inhalation. Aang presumably appears as the age when he created Republic City and really united the world. Uh, very good theories there, Mark. That is something that I didn't really think about. Um, though my my only my only thing to say about that would be um, it stands to reason that all of these avatars are probably done many significant things throughout their life. For instance, uh, I mean, okay. Obviously, we don't know everything there is to know about Kiyoshi, so we could assume that that was the biggest thing that she did. Roku, uh, we could assume that the biggest thing that he did was stop that volcano. Yes, that was pretty epic, but uh, with Aang, you know, creating Republic City was very huge, but he also defeated Fire Lord Ozai, which was pretty huge too. I mean, he, you know, he, he brought an end to a 100-year war when he defeated Fire Lord Ozai. So I would even say that maybe that was the biggest thing that he's ever done. So with that theory, he should show up at the constant age of 13 or so. So, I mean, I agree with you to an extent, but I can also see how, it, you know, this is all opinion. So there's no right or wrong here, obviously. But that would be my only response to that would be that I'm not sure if creating Republic City was actually the biggest thing 
that Aang has done, if you really think about it. And, and there are plenty of things that we don't even know about that happened during his adventures, too. Uh, but that is a very good theory, and it would, it would make sense, and it would hold up. Now, I'm going to move on along here to Henry. Henry is another regular listener that uh, I've had for a while now, since the beginning. Henry, thank you once again for emailing me. Henry is from Maryland, and here we're going to talk about, uh, let's see, we've gotten, okay, sorry, I was confused. I thought we got two emails from you. We have one email from you. And this is pertaining to the Fire Lord and General Iroh and that whole thing. Some questions I asked on previous episodes. So it says here, hey, it's Henry from Maryland again. I'm going to guess that Zuko is no longer the Fire Lord and that his daughter, General Iroh's mother, is going to be the current ruling Fire Lord. I have two questions this week. Who do you think is General Iroh's grandmother? What do you think Unalak was doing in the spirit world or was he even in the spirit world? Henry, thank you so much for your email. Feel free to email me anytime. Um, yes, so I did sort of pose a question about who do we think the Fire Lord is. I could have sworn that I heard them say, General Iroh say at some point that his grandfather was the Fire Lord. Maybe I was mistaken and it actually is um, his mother that's the Fire Lord. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just very unclear. And I was kind of hoping that with Korra's visit to the Fire Nation, we would find that out. But it seems like we're not going to get to see much more of the Fire Nation. It seems as if Korra is literally about to hop on the Sky Bison and go to the portal. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll even get to find that out. Um, but yeah, I've heard several times there's a theory that Zuko actually had a daughter and that daughter would be the Fire Lord. So, I mean, we'll, 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 I guess we'll see what happens with that. You know, the only way that that would have happened is if he didn't have a son, right? Because it's the Fire Lord has always been a, 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 a man prior to this. But, you know, it's a new world, so I guess we'll see. We can see what happens. And as for your questions, uh, who do I think is General Iroh's grandmother? Um, now, see, I'm, I'm a little confused here because at this point, we're, this is a, this is assuming that General Iroh's mother is the Fire Lord and that he's even Zuko's grandson because they still haven't said that 100 percent. Okay, but assuming that General Iroh is, in fact, Zuko's grandson. Uh, who do I think his grandmother would have been, as in, you know, Zuko's wife? The I mean, obviously, May is going to come to mind because May was Zuko's love interest throughout uh, parts of The Last Airbender. Now, a lot of things could have happened within that time, because if you actually read the graphic novels, I mean, not to spoil anything, but Zuko and May actually break up later on um, because Zuko is so wrapped up in everything as far as trying to find his mother that uh, and he's not really paying much attention to May. So but that doesn't mean that they won't they don't get back together. So what I would have to say on that is um, General Iroh's grandmother can be a character that we just haven't met yet. You know, like it can be someone who's completely new. At some point, maybe Zuko met a completely different woman and had a child, you know, um, with her. And it could be someone that we just haven't come across yet. Or he could have reconnected with May and it could be May. I mean, it could be either one. 
So as far as who do I think, well, there's not really many options. I mean, if I had to pick someone that we've seen already, I would obviously just go with May because that's the only one that he was involved with. Um, but who knows? I mean, he could have ended up with Suki or somebody for all we know. I mean, who who knows what could have really happened? So for that, it's really just going to be a bunch of theories and speculation. Uh, for the second part of your question, what, what do you think Unalak was doing in the spirit world or was he even in spirit world? Well, Henry, now that we've seen uh, this latest episode, well, I have to say that, you know, it's we're we're being led to believe that Unlock was there to try to free Vatu. But who knows? He could be there to try to destroy Vatu forever. I mean, like I said, Unalak's character has been a little bit in the gray area. You know, we bring we're being led to believe that he's a bad guy, but they're not saying it specifically enough to where he could still end up being a good guy with a. Uh, good intentions but just handling handling it in a bad way so yeah i would have to say that it just seems like he was there to try to free vatu but we know that it definitely has something to do with that so yeah not if we've seen that episode we can we can state that i want to thank you both for your emails once again if you would like to see me an email i know i posed a lot of questions on this episode there's a lot of confusion Please forgive me for that. But I mean, to me, just a lot of things didn't really make sense and I didn't really catch them the first time around. So if you can help me with that, please send me an email at republiccityreport at gmail.com. Head over to Facebook, like the page. We can talk about it there. Facebook.com slash republiccityreport. While you're there, you can check out the awesome podcast network. Um, of course, this podcast is a part of that network. You can check us out at awesomepods.com. Find all sorts of links to all of our podcasts there. They're all free. Please go over, take a look, enjoy. I just recorded a brand new episode of my other podcast, Geekly Dose, tonight with Stephen Nocentelli. So that should be up pretty soon. Uh, we talk about comic books, movies, video games, everything. On this particular episode, we talk about Grand Theft Auto V. We talk about Batman Arkham Origins. We talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, and that and much, much more. So if you want to get your geek fix, make sure you head over, on over there. Geekly Dose. Uh, that's G-E-E-K-L-Y-D-O-S-E. Uh, we talk about everything geek, so you can download that and check that out. Just be aware that that podcast is explicit. So there's going to be some profanity and things like that in certain parts of that podcast. So uh, listener discretion is advised. Thank you all once again for sending me emails, for listening. I appreciate it so very much. And of course, I will see you once again next weekend when we try to close out this journey with Cora and see where this thing is going. Send me your emails in in time so that I can address them on the next episode. So until then, for Republic City Report, I'm Tim Bridgewater Bender. Thank you guys, and I'll see you next time. Legend of Korra tells tales of epic adventure, magic, fantasy, philosophy, and most of all, fun. Find stories like these and much, much more at audible.com. For listeners of Republic City Report, 
Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial that gives you the opportunity to check out their service. Just go to audibletrial.com slash awesomepods or visit us at awesomepods.com and click on the free trial link at the top of the page. Find this show and more on facebook.com slash awesomepods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.